again, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we generally talk about today's digital transformation. But recently, we've also been talking about that other transformation that's affected everybody on Earth due to the COVID-19 pandemic and our efforts to get through that, to get out of it in an appropriate way, and to begin to understand what is life going to look like over on the other side of this, both in our personal lives and in the business world. Our guest today is one of our digital all-stars, Charles Araujo who's an author, analyst, writer, and a big thinker on the types of things that affect this notion of where things are headed in this digitally and pandemically changed world. Charlie, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. Great to have you. Always great to be here with you, Bob. Charlie, thanks. You know, I, I saw a recent piece, and for everybody, uh, a lot of Charlie's work is available on uh, you know, his site called Your Digital Future. And Charlie, you had a piece up there that talked about two of the skills that you think are going to be essential. Design thinking, which I think a lot of folks are familiar with to some extent, but you had another one up that you're pairing with that called systems thinking. What's your idea there? So, you know, it's interesting. I actually wrote this piece uh, right before all the COVID-19 stuff started breaking. And then, of course, put it in on the shelf because you had to start addressing what was going on. And ended up pulling it back out a week or two ago because I realized that it was actually quite relevant. So, um, but here, here's the, the general gist of it. So design thinking, as you mentioned, I think a lot of people are starting to become familiar with that. I've been a fan of the, the ideas behind design thinking for years now, but it's this really idea of putting the customer at the center of everything you're doing and you're creating. And it comes from uh, very traditionally from like, think about design as in uh, creating a, an interface or an application design or what have you. But in truth, it's really about solving problems. And it's about solving them empathetically from the perspective of a customer predominantly, but, but whoever that customer might be or a consumer maybe of a product or service. And so you know, that's that sort of one motion. And there's some really great work happening there. The Stanford D School is, has been sort of the leader in that whole space. Um, but then there's this other one, and I've been also a huge fan of it. Um, I wrote about it in my first book called Systems Thinking. It, it's an older idea, or you know, it goes back at least a, a decade, a decade and a half, maybe two more. I'm starting to date myself. <laughs> but um, and so it was coined. It was coined by somebody else, but but popularized by a guy by the name of Peter Sange in his book The Fifth Discipline. And it's this idea that when we're dealing with complex systems that you have to be looking at the entirety of the system, that an action in one part of it causes a reaction in another part of it. And I became a big fan of it because when I was running IT organizations, this is what nipped us in the rear end all day long as we'd make a change over here, not expecting all the unintended consequences that happen someplace else. And so this piece is about why these two, I believe are actually in fact joined at the hip. You know, Charlie, when I, I saw them, I saw that term systems thinking <clears throat> and, you know, forgive me if I'm way off base on this, but it struck me as a little uh, clunky, right? And it, it could give somebody the notion like, oh, man, this is, this is a return to the, to the 90s. But what you just described there was something that goes beyond that. So, yes, it has to do with systems and, the, you know, mechanistic control sometimes they put over us. But I suspect you've got a pretty clever way of weaving the systems thinking in with design thinking. So how do those two disciplines roll together to give something that's much bigger than either of them could be individually? Well, first of all, um, if I didn't name the, either of these terms, so they're not mine, but, um, and systems thinking, you're right, I'm glad you said that. It's, it's not 
systems as in technology or computer systems, it's, it's process systems, right? These complex systems of operating and how everything fits together. And I think part of the challenge is that we tended to think about design thinking as the forward or customer facing side and systems thinking about what we use to optimize operations. And it was like the back end. And the reason I think that, that that misses the boat is that because they have to be, in fact, connected. And, and here's why. That if you think about design thinking and, and you think in the terms of a customer experience, the customer experience is something that isn't just about the buying process. It's about everything that we do when after we purchased and we are now interacting with the product or the company that, that we bought it from, if it's a service, right? All of those different interactions. And how many of those interactions are actually interactions with some of some form of this back-end process, right? And, and how many times have we all been frustrated because we're dealing with, and I won't name companies because we all have tons of bad experiences with them, but, and it's like, we're pulling our hair out. This is why I look like this now, <laughs> pulling our hair out because it's like they have some arcane back-end process and policy and procedure that is just literally making me want to hang up the phone, cancel the service, whatever. And so this idea that we can somehow have a design experience without addressing the complexity of the backend processes is foolhardy. Um, and, and on the flip side, how can I optimize something on, um, from an operational backend perspective without having awareness of how it's going to ultimately affect my customers or the consumers of a service in the end? If I, if I take that out of the equation, I'm missing a huge piece of this puzzle. And so that's why I think that they have to be connected. Well, as you described that, <clears throat> I thought it was something I read in a book uh, quite a while back. But the metaphor the guy used was it's like, you know, you got the cast of a Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, you know, tearing it up in the woods. And they run through the woods a little and suddenly they stumble on a brand new interstate highway with giant aluminum light poles. It's just a, a clash of sort of expectations and settings and all that. So the design thinking that's become so popular now and finally, you know, put the customer at the center of things, but it's only going to be as good as the parallel systems thinking allows it to be, right? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. And there's so many places that this intersects, right? I, I just produced a piece, well, I'm actually still producing a piece of research uh, for an organization, and it was about the intersection between digital transformation and process management, right? And, and there's some, some corollaries here, because what was interesting in talking to, I interviewed a bunch of um, senior leaders, enterprise leaders, and I was talking, I don't actually remember what company this was, but I was talking to one of them, and they were exp dis dis um, discussing rather how there was this effort going on and it was all about solving a customer experience problem they were having with their customers in some way. And what they found is all these handoffs, right? There were all these independent processes that were running underneath the covers that were what's causing all this frustration for their customers. And so they applied process management discipline to go in and optimize those processes and, and connect them. And, and I asked him, I said, so let me ask you, if you hadn't had this customer experience project that was driving the need to fix this, would you have ever fixed these? And he says, no, because all of these, we would have been focused just on the little silos. We would have made those really efficient, but the problem was in the connection points between them. And so that's where I think you end up with these kind of disconnects of, it's like, well, if we aren't looking at both sides together, then we, we effectively have these two amazing tools that we can't use to their fullest advantage because we're not looking at both sides of the equation. And Charlie, I know, you know, every company, every organization is different, but generally, where would you say, where's the, 
the hub of control of those two different disciplines. So who are the people and how do they go about saying, hey, what you're doing is cool, what I'm doing is cool. We get together, we could get something pretty magical here. Uh, what a great question, Bob, because the, the, the hard part is I think in almost, I don't want to overgeneralize, there, there are definitely some organizations that have, have kind of drunk this Kool-Aid and are doing stuff, but I would say for most, there isn't anybody presently that truly owns either of these approaches. And so the idea of even connecting them is challenging because where do you go with that, right? And, and in fairness, I would never expect to see an organization called the design thinking team or the systems thinking team, right? These are sort of philosophical constructs. But that said, there are a whole bunch of organizations that have you know, customer success teams or something like that, that they're designed to try to improve and maintain the customer experience. Although I would argue that in many cases, they're too much focused on problem resolution instead of actually solving those problems. Um, and then you have teams like process management teams or, you know, sometimes the operational optimization teams or tiger, you know, whatever, doing those pieces of the work. And, and my big message would be to start thinking about experiential tangents, how you can connect the experience and then bring these teams together around those specific problems and, in, and employing both of these ideas simultaneously. Because I think that it's, um, I'll, I'll give you an, a, a perfect example of this in my opinion. Um, Verizon, my father has been a longtime customer of Verizon Wireless, right, for phones. And my, my dad is about as non-techy as you can get. You know, LA County Sheriff, 30 years, yada, yada. And he goes in, but, but he has a, he owns a bunch of real estate now, so he has a team of people. So he, he, I don't know what his bill is, but his bill is at least in the four digits every month for these guys. Sorry, he's not a small little whatever for them. And he went in to try to get some minor little thing fixed. And the guys that he was dealing with, we're using their backend systems, right? So it was internally facing, right? It wasn't anything my dad was interacting with and they couldn't make this simple little change. They literally sent him to another store because apparently he'd bought something at this other store and it was a sign back and blah, blah. He goes over there. They spent another two hours trying to fix this. And the guy finally said, you know what? Here, I'm just gonna give you this thing, whatever it was and we'll pretend it was stolen because it was easier to do that to try to save the experience. And it was just the, the, how many, and this was just this itty bitty little example, how many experiences do our customers have like this all day long because we aren't trying to think through this in the entirety of this process. And so I think the challenge with a lot of people that have drank the, the design thinking Kool-Aid is they go in and they imagine these amazing experiences, um, and yet they fail to recognize that it's completely unwound by the inability to deliver some $10 product to a customer who has been a long time, you know, a long time customer and you can't solve their problem. Yeah. And I think there's still in, in a number of companies, still a fair number of those employees there. Um, I, I think good hearted, they've been productive, they've been effective at their jobs, but they think their job is to maintain the process that existed yesterday and the day before and it's internally graded and the notion of going out and talking to customers or to get the customer input is like, oh, well, you start listening to those people and, you know, all of it, everything goes to hell. And, you know, we can't have that. Um, Charlie, I think one of, in a minute ago, you talked about uh, maybe it's one of those things that helps tie these things together, will help uh, bring about the fusion of these two ideas and wherever it's appropriate for them to be fused and otherwise run parallel. But in the uh, in the tech business, a lot of the software companies have, and I think Microsoft was the first one to really champion this, which was 
that the salespeople are going to be rewarded not at the sale of the cloud application, but rather on the consumption of it. Consumption goes up, you make more on your commission. Consumption doesn't, you have done our customer no good, and you're sure as hell not going to get paid by us for not delivering value to customers. So there are different ways, new ways to look at this that I think help push those two uh, pieces together. You know, yeah, actually, com- completely agree with that. And and what you're describing, in well, I'm going to translate this a little bit, but yeah. to me, this what you're really talking about is this idea of realized empathy. And what I mean is, is that if we can't get in bed, so to speak, with our customers and feel their pain with them, enjoy their successes with them, then we're going to have a very difficult time doing this. And by the way, this extends not just in what you're describing, which by the way, I think cloud and consumption-based models, um, especially when they've been aligned to compensation models, have been tremendously powerful for this, but it's also true in IT. Um, I I became really good friends with the general manager of a hotel that I used to stay in all the time in DC. And uh, because we became kind of uh, more than just, I was more than just his customer, we would share wine and sit and talk. And and one day he, he looks at me and says, Charlie, if IT would just come and spend one day with me in my hotel, everything would change because they would see all of these systems and all of these processes, how they're actually affecting my ability to serve my guests, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, this getting us where we have skin in this game is critical. And, and to your point, by the way, um, I was talking to a CIO of a very large um, organization not too long ago in the midst of all this COVID stuff. And um, it was, and he was lamenting about a cloud company who I will not name, but how he was trying to put his, his partners, we'll say, into buckets of heroes and villains because there are some that are, you know, even though they're cloud and it's supposed to be consumption, that they, you know, in the midst of all of this change, they've been very strictly adhering to sort of, you know, what the contracts are, what have you, and not bringing grace and flexibility to it. And then there's others that are going above and beyond. And that I think plays a huge role in this. And so it, it, it ironically, it in a very direct, non-systematic way talks to the same idea of design thinking and systems thinking. It's like, you need your systems to be in processes to be flexible enough and adaptable that when you see a need with your customers, you can a- approach it empathetically and help solve their problems, even if it means changing these long-standing ways that we've always done things. And Charlie, you mentioned there the longstanding way that we've done things. Um, uh, the last 10 weeks are going to render a lot of the long way we've done things somewhat irrelevant in some cases or not. And new ways of doing things might be coming up. So where do you see in sort of the new emerging world, this fusion of the ideas you've talked about, design thinking and systems thinking? You know, I think it's it's interesting that there is uh, mostly what I'm interested in or what I'm focused on is seeing how much this the whole pandemic has accelerated some of these trends. I think there's some things that are going to be very temporary, um, but I think there's some things that it's simply the acceleration, the work from home as an example, right? And and so, you know, mostly what I've been talking about design and system thinking has been the context of customers. Well, I think you have to apply this in, in the context of your employee experience just as importantly, Right. And there's going to be many, you know, we're seeing the, the dominoes are starting to fall, particularly in the tech world right now, companies saying, hey, we're, we're going to be permanently work from home or a large portion of it. And I think we're going to see more of that. I don't think it's going to be to- total, but I think we're going to see more of it. And, and as that happens, I think there's some very interesting conversations that have to be had about how do I start reimagining the employee experience in that environment and how they interact 
with us. And that again, will then tie back to, I'm gonna have to start re-looking at my systems. Now in this case, I am talking about technology, but also the process-driven systems of how I make all this work. I think the other part that's interesting um, about it, I actually just got off the phone um, or off a video call with a company that is, their specialty is, is uh, basically building software um, that connects IoT type devices or any kind of sensors or whatever. And so you know, they're, they're going crazy right now because everyone is trying to figure out how do I start instrumenting office spaces and retail centers and restaurants to monitor are people keeping distant enough? Do they, you know, do they have a temperature? All of these things and how we can apply technology to do that. Well, again, same thing. The technology is one thing and I need to understand the systems components of it, of how it's going to interact and privacy issues and all of that stuff. But I also need to, to bring a, a degree of empathy into this from a design thinking perspective to say, how's this going to make my employees feel? How is, what is the potential impact to my customers? How exactly can I be transparent with them as they interact with my brand, right? You have to bring these things together because if you focus just on the technology, just on the system side of it, you're going to potentially put yourself at great risk or at the very least probably miss an opportunity. Charlie, let me toss an example out at your real life thing that I think plays into some of what you're just talking about. I've just been, uh, you know, more, uh, more impressed than ever before with Mark Benioff, the CEO, founder of Salesforce, over the past few months, not only the initiative he's taking to, you know, suddenly become in some ways like a logistics powerhouse to get 50 million uh, pieces of PPE together and get those to the, some hospitals in San Francisco, but also he's got a lot at stake in this work from home revolution thing, right? Because one of the branding things pre-COVID that Salesforce was doing was in every major city, they had, you know, if not the tallest, one of the tallest buildings with their big logo across the top. So he's got a vested interest in, hey, we got these big headquarters, they're going to be the thing, everybody's going to look at them, people come in, we're going to go to work in these 40, 50, 60 story towers. And now suddenly, you know, uh, he has been among the people who are saying, hey, you know, for at least this year, we're going to give a lot of latitude to folks about where you come to work. So uh, you, it, it, this spins out into commercial real estate and what happens there and, uh, you know, what's going to be the nature of cities and will people still want to go live in big, tall buildings, near big, tall buildings where they go to work. And as Wayne Satan was right the other day, you know, ride around in these horizontal tubes to get to work and then jump on a vertical tube to go up to your floor to work. It's, it's going to present some wild things. And there's probably going to be a lot of people that are perfectly cool with that. And it's going to be fine and they'll be fine. And others are going to say, not me. I, I'm, I am not doing that both for safety reasons. And also in these three nutty months, I've realized the quality of life uh, level that I have not experienced before. So it's really going to be a challenge. I think it's going to be a very interesting dynamic. So I definitely have heard from a few execs that, are already going down that road of saying we expect we're going to cut our office space by 20 30 40 50 so wow. definitely seeing some of that already um but but here's the thing i'm i'm actually not quite as bullish as others are on on how significant this is going to be now look i've worked from home for 20 years i'm a fan of it i couldn't imagine going to an office but for a lot of people and more importantly for a lot of teams there's a lot of, as humans, we love connection, right? We need connection. The, the explosion of Zoom is, you know, a proof point around that. 
And so the question is, how does that happen? Now, I, you know, having worked from home for this long, I know fully well that I can, that you can collaborate, you can create connection, you can do it remotely. But it does take effort, it takes discipline, it takes a desire to do it. And I think that we're gonna find a lot of organizations recognize that there is still a lot of value. Now, I do think the nature of those offices will probably change. I think the nature of work is unquestionably gonna be changed permanently. Um, but I don't think it's as simple as, e even for the companies that are on record right now saying we're gonna permanently be working from home, I don't think it's gonna be as simple as, as that. I think what we're going to actually see is this is a tipping point that's going to lead to the next evolution of what it means to be a knowledge worker, to, to, you know, to work within these large companies. Um, because I think it's going to, and I, I don't even pretend to know what it is going to be, but I think it's going to look different, but it's not going to be what we are right now. Yeah. And Charlie, I would guess if we think back five, 10, 12, 15 years, there's probably been a lot of things that have come up where we said, oh man, after this, nothing's going to be the same. And I'm not saying that to diminish in any way, the horrendous impacts of the whole pandemic at all, but, um, you write and think a lot about and you infuse the notion of humanity into your work, which is often involves deeply technical issues. So um, this, this tendency we as humans have, and in some ways it's a good thing, in other ways it can be limiting of thinking like, oh man, this is it. We have never been through anything like this. Everything's going to change. Nothing will change. I don't know. And I think part of it is, as you indicated, let, let's see, let's move into this. Let's be nimble, flexible, open, to changing what should change and let's get back to the way things were for some other stuff. I, I, I think that's the right approach here. And um, I, I just wonder if you feel that, uh, you know, what, what's your sense of how people are sort of equipped right now to do that? Well, I think, I mean, I think one thing that we've seen is the resiliency of people. People are probably, you know, I think I, people have proven to be more equipped to deal with this than I think we anticipated. And, and that's why this has largely been successful. But I also think we're seeing it starting to fray at the edges. And so that's why I think we're, we're going to see people come back to offices. I think there's going to be a percentage, a, a good size percentage of people that are going to be, you know, thank goodness, I need to get out of there. I need to, you know, I needed that. I needed that space. Um, so I think there's going to be a huge chunk of that. But, but what, I, what I do think is going to be um, more interesting, I think we've talked about this before, is that I don't know that organizations are fully prepared, that this is not a binary, we flipped the switch off, we took six months, and now we're flipping the switch back on, and it goes back. I, I think that th that's the part and that's why I say, I, I don't think it's going, I'm not saying it's going back to the way it was, but I'm also saying it, this isn't the new normal. I think it, what we're going to evolve into is something entirely different that's going to have pieces of it. And, and hopefully in the best case scenario, the pieces that have historically worked, and there's a lot of it, right? I mean, there were, and I can't ever say this, you know, publicly, even though I know we're saying this publicly right now, but, you know, I, there are moments, very brief moments where it's like, I miss having an office. I miss having that sort of camaraderie, that energy that kind of com comes with that. So I think that there's going to be this balance point of finding what, the, and, and I'm actually really excited um, because I think it is going to actually remake cities a little bit. I think we're going to, the other thing I think it's interesting, I was just talking about this with someone the other day. I think we're going to see a, a bit of a collision of a whole bunch of emerging trends that we've been following for a while that have sort of stumbled the work from home being one of them, the um, you know, new approaches to, office, the new nature of the future of work, 
also smart cities. I think we're gonna see this, this whole intermingling of all of this. And what's the, the, the one good news about this, this pandemic happening at this point in time is we've never had more tools at our disposal in terms of technology, AI, the algorithmic tools that we have to start completely reimagining how we function. And so, uh, you know, I fully expect we're going to still have Salesforce have these big giant towers all over the place for a whole bunch of reasons. And I expect that what happens inside those towers is going to look very different a year or two from now. So, Charlie, let me give you the last word. And on the, on the subject here, uh, I know we had talked about it a little bit before, but it's interesting in your office setup, you're out in front of the future, which <laughs> sits over your, your left shoulder there. So, uh, What's your view on the future since you're already out in front of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure, thanks. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, my, my story, I, I, I actually tell this from stage. When I wrote my first book, people started calling me a futurist. And at first I laughed because I thought they were joking. And then once I realized people were serious and they expected me to tell them what the future was going to hold, I got nervous as crap. And, and so I even bought, if I'd known you were gonna ask this question, I would have pulled it out. I bought myself a crystal ball. And so I carry it around on stage sometimes and I go and I, what, you know, I look through my crystal ball and what do I see? And all I see is our world turned upside down. And what I've, what I've learned is, is I do proudly call myself a futurist, but not because I think I know what the future holds. I've learned that a futurist is someone who simply is continually looking at the future and questioning it and experimenting and exploring what it might hold. And, and so I don't pretend to know what the future is going to hold, but what, what I've been trying to, I guess my point has been trying to make here is that it's going to be different. I think that if you, if you somehow think we're simply going to go back, even when we get a vaccine a year, year and a half from now, I think you're wrong. I think that this is going to leave an indelible mark on us as people, as humans, as a society, as organizations. It's going to fundamentally change the way we think about even what's important. And so we have to come into this. If, if you're a leader of an organization, if you're a leader of a tech company, you need to come into this with a degree of humility and say, I don't necessarily know where this is going to go, but I know it's going to change and I better be ready to adapt and be agile, right? That's going to be the name of this game. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll all get to share it together. So we'll see. Yeah. One of the authors I, I've always enjoyed, William Gibson, his line on it was, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, Charlie, as always, thank you so much for being with us here on Cloud Wars Live. Great, great thoughts. And, uh, you know, let, let's hang in there. And in some ways over the next weeks until we see each other again, let's hope we can get some of those 38 million Americans back to work and many more tens of millions of people around the world. Sounds good. Bob, always great being with you. Thanks, Charlie. And to all of you folks, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We hope we'll see you again next time. And still then, Stay safe. Let's all get busy. We'll see you soon. So long.